Good morning, everybody. If you're not already there, go ahead and open your Bible to the book of Malachi. Um, that's where we're going to begin today. Truly good to see everyone here. Um, it is truly a blessing to be gathered and to worship God. Amen. We're really grateful for your presence. We've got a number of people visiting for the first time uh, and want to welcome you and tell you thank you for joining us today as we open up God's word together, as we sing songs of praise together, as we pray to our God. Um, let me say one thing before I, before I forget, because I will forget um, and for, to say this later. Uh, this has been a busy weekend and uh, a very encouraging weekend, but um, I appreciate all of you who've labored in so many ways to help uh, those in need. Um, I got a call this morning right before the service from Sister Marilyn Butler, and she reminded me that I needed to tell all of you thank you um, for all the ways that you've contributed and, uh, and helped their family in the loss of our dear brother, Jeff. Um, and, uh, she wants you to know just how, um, how deeply grateful she is, uh, for all the love that's been shown. Their family has received over the past week, abundant comfort. And, uh, we thank God for that. And I think, thank God for all the ways that he's used you all to provide that, um, for his glory. So, uh, really grateful to be back in the word of God with you all this morning. And, uh, we're going to be looking at the last book of the old Testament. At least that's where we're going to start. Um, but I want you to think about as we uh, begin this morning, um, what would you do if tonight when you got home, you found out that tomorrow the president, whichever one is your favorite, I'm not going to get politically divisive today, um, the, the president was coming over for dinner. He's coming to your house to eat at your table. What would you do? What would you serve the president? Um, would it be just another ordinary day at the table? You know, whatever you can find in the fridge. Could you open up, you know, your leftovers and say, hey, here you are. Welcome. Welcome. And uh, enjoy your meal. What would you offer to an honored guest like the president who shows up at your house? Uh, I remember when I first moved to the Bronx, um, I had a friend who was there uh, who uh, was hungry and uh, we had cooked some food and we um, packed up a meal to take to my friend. We delivered that meal um, to him and um, Dominicans, not Dominicans, but Dominicans uh, who I was hanging out with uh, have this thing that they love to eat. Um, it's the bottom of the rice pan, like the, the, the part that some of us would say is burnt. Um, but they call it Kong Kong. Some of you know what I'm talking about here. Uh, and they love to eat that. And so um, they knew that this brother was hungry. And so the people who were cooking saved some of that. They put it in the dish and we gave it to uh, our, our brother who was from West Africa. Um, and I got a call from him a little later on. Uh, and he was irate. He was angry. He, he said, Caleb, if that's the kind of food you're going to give me, you just better not give me any more at all. Um, he was so disappointed in what we had offered and the reason was because he thought what we were offering him was we were just giving him our leftovers, you know, what was left, the worst of the worst, you know, that was left from our meal. Um, and that was not actually what we intended, but that's the way he received it. I want to ask you this morning, what are you offering to God? What are you offering to God? Are you offering God your leftovers? As we sang these songs this morning, um, and as I was reflecting this morning and praying, um, 
and thinking about God, uh, it's hard not to be overwhelmed by how amazing God is and how good and how kind God has been to us. When we think about what God has offered us, truly, there is no one like our God. What he has offered us is far better than any president. It's far better than any governor. It's far better than any politician who's ever made us promises. And when we think about all that God has offered us, it's really important for us to take time to consider this question. What are we offering back to God for all that he's done and for all that he's given us? What are we offering back to God? The book of Malachi opens with Yahweh saying to uh, the Israelites, I have loved you. And the Israelites' response to that is, how have you loved us? And one part of me wants to say, you know what? These ungrateful, selfish brutes, like what is wrong with these people? They know how much Yahweh has loved them. Haven't you read the Torah? Haven't, don't you know your history? Don't you go to the synagogue? Don't you understand all the things that Yahweh has done for you? But then again, you know, sometimes, isn't it true? Things happen in life. Life gets tough. Life gets difficult. And we're tempted to question. When God says, I have loved you, we're tempted to say, how? How have you loved? So Israel questions God's love for them. And God reminds Israel of his love for them. He reminds them that he chose them, that he loved them, that he gave them these beautiful promises that he didn't give to Esau, that he didn't give to the other nations. But there was a special love that God had poured out upon his people, special blessing and special promises. And then he reminds them of how he felt about their love or their lack of love in return. In Malachi chapter one and verse six, Yahweh says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my respect? Says Yahweh of hosts, O priests who despise my name. Yahweh is feeling disrespected here. And I think as I read this, the assumption that the priests had and the assumption that the Israelites had was that Yahweh would be pleased with them because at least they sacrificed something. Isn't that what we're tempted to think? Well, you know, I'm giving God something. At least I'm giving him something. I know I know that maybe I don't always give him my best. You know, I know that maybe I don't always give God my best effort, but I'm giving him something. Something is better than nothing, isn't it? That's what we think. What does God think? No. The answer is no. Something is not better than nothing. In fact, I think we understand this, don't we? Um don't come to me after this sermon and compliment me out of guilt or out of feeling of obligation. I don't want that. I don't want that kind of disrespect, you know? If you're going to come and compliment something that I said, do it out of love, out of appreciation. Don't let it be out of obligation or out of guilt. I'd rather you just hold that, keep that to yourself. Yeah. We don't like that. We feel disrespected when somebody is uh, showing appreciation, but we know it's just, you know, when a kid comes up and says, thank you, but you know the only reason he did it is because his parents told him to. You know, like, what is that? You know, you're like, he's a kid. He's got to learn. But when adults do that, that's, that's frustrating to us. 
that that makes us feel unappreciated. And truthfully, if we were to show up at somebody's house, one of our brothers or sisters' house, and we were to show up for an important occasion, special occasion, to, uh, an occasion where we're to be honored, and somebody was to pull out the fridge and just say, "Hey, well, this is all. This is what I got left," and they offer you, you know food that's a week old, they're scraping the mold off of it and then serving you as like, you feel disrespected. You feel like, hey, does this person really love me or not? Do they really care about me or not? Why would God be any different? Why would God be any different? He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lord of hosts. He is Yahweh, the great I am. Something is not better than nothing when it comes to Yahweh. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 10 says this, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says Yahweh of hosts. Have you thought about the fact that there are churches that Yahweh might say to today, I wish you would shut the doors. That actually offering me no worship would be better than what you're offering me right now. God forbid that we ever become a church like that. What a dangerous place to be. What if God wanted us to shut the doors of the church? No worship was better to God than half-hearted worship. For God is being disrespected by the offerings that they bring. So again, let me ask you, what are you offering to God in return? Would God feel disrespected by the offering that we are offering him today? And when I say today, don't think that I mean just about what's happening in this assembly. I mean, in our lives. Hosea 13 verse six, God said this, when I fed them, they were satisfied. And when they were satisfied, they became proud and they forgot me. And isn't that the truth? Isn't that the way the world often works? When God feeds us, rather than giving thanks, we are satisfied. And when we are satisfied, rather than humbling ourselves before the Lord, we become proud. And when we are proud, we forget him. The vicious cycle of human sin. And this is why David said in 2 Samuel chapter 24, and verse 24, I will not offer to Yahweh that which costs me nothing. I'm not going to offer God something that is left over. I'm not going to offer God something that didn't cost me anything in return. I want to offer God something that is costly because that shows that I truly honor and respect God. So what about you? What about me? Are we offering God that which costs us nothing? Let me say something here uh, before we get a little bit more specific in the sermon. Um, when we talk about our offering to God today, we're not talking about bulls and goats, obviously. But I also want you to think about this. When I talk about giving God our best and giving God the best that we have to offer, I'm not simply talking here about setting aside more hours for kingdom work in the schedule. I understand this. I'm not saying, hey, you just need to add more time. Could that be for some of us that we need to add more time devoted to God in the schedule? Yes, absolutely it may be. But what I want you to consider is 
It's, it, it's not about adding to the schedule. It's the purpose behind the whole schedule. It's the purpose behind the entirety of our lives. Our life is to be a living and holy sacrifice to God. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. What else could we offer God who sacrificed his own life for us? That is what is acceptable in his sight. And so when we talk about what am I offering to God, we need to think holistically of our entire life. What am I offering God in my marriage? What am I offering God in my family? What am I offering God in my relationship with my brothers and sisters? What am I offering God in my relationship with my coworkers? What am I offering God on the job? What am I offering God in the neighborhood? What am I offering God in every area of life? Having said that, today I want to get more specific. Are we offering to God what he deserves? Um, giving as servants extends far beyond our wallets. However, since, as John Wesley stated, um, the last part of a man to be converted is often his wallet, um, we're going to discuss giving. And we're going to focus primarily today on giving as it relates to money, wealth, and possessions. And having said that, I need to say something because we got a number of people here who are here for the first time today. And I want you to know, you may be thinking, man, this is just another one of those churches in it for money. You know, like, here it comes, the money talk. He's about to pass around the plate. He's going to pass it once, twice, six, seven times. Uh, see how much he can get out of us today. Uh, I think this may be the first time in five years uh, being here that I've spoken about money here, um, at least in the sermon. And there's a reason for that. I'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, I beg you to hear me out. And I beg you to hear out what the scriptures say. We want to look at biblically, what does God want from us as it relates to giving? Before we go to the New Testament, I want to read one more passage from Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 um, down through verse 12. Uh, sorry, verse 7 through 12. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, Yahweh says, and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says Yahweh of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says Yahweh of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says Yahweh of hosts. The people of God at this time in Israel were under a curse. And they were under a curse because they were not keeping his decrees regarding tithes and offerings. That's not the only reason they were under a curse, but that's one of. They were not keeping his decrees, his decrees regarding tithes and offerings. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And then he says, test me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will have nowhere to store it. And God is saying to his people, hey, give to me first, make a sacrifice for me first and trust that I will take care of you and I will pour out a blessing. 
And this is one of those passages that you often hear on TV, right? Um, you know, come and plant a seed and, and uh, you know, give us, put it, put $10 in that envelope and it'll come back. Uh, God will pour out 10,000 on you, you know? Sadly, that's the way people often twist scripture. Somebody should have told Jesus that all those seeds that he planted would come back with that kind of money. He lived a poor life and it ended with him on a cross. What does God mean? The point of this passage is that God wants his people to learn to give to him first, to trust that he will provide for them, that he will bless us far more abundantly than we can imagine if we give him the honor and the glory that he deserves. Certainly, God does not promise us that if we give to him, he will restore it, it, it 10 times as much financially. That's not the promise of God. But God promises blessings that are far greater than that. If we will learn to obey his commands and learn to sacrificially give. So with that being said, what are God's instructions for the people of God today as it relates to giving? You guys know this, I think many of you do, at least under the covenant God made with Israel through Moses, the Israelites were instructed to tithe or to give a tenth. That's what the word tithe means, to give a tenth of everything from the land. And it was to be holy to Yahweh. You can read about that in Leviticus 27. You can read about that also in Numbers chapter 18. However, interestingly, there's not a lot of talk about tithing in the New Testament. Um, Jesus does mention it a couple of times. Matthew 23 is one example. Um, but under the new covenant inaugurated with the death of Christ, there are no specific instructions about how much we are to give. What you find instead are instructions about how to give. Look at Acts chapter 2, the passage that our brother Danny read for us at the beginning of the service. Turn with me if you would there. We're going to spend the rest of our time in the New Testament. Um, Acts chapter 2. And I want you to notice what happened after the first disciples received the gospel and became Christians on the day of Pentecost. Look at Acts chapter 2 and in verse uh, 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were, were together and they had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Notice the impact of the gospel on their lives. No longer were they living to store up property and possessions for themselves. Now they are living to, to, for, the, for the sake of others, sacrificing property, sacrificing possession so that there would be no one among them in need. Look at Acts chapter 4, the end of the chapter in verse 32. The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were given testimony, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all, for there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses, would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. 
picture that I see there. People offering a lot more than a tithe. These are people who've laid down their lives for one another. These are people who've said everything that's mine is yours. All that I have is for you. We are family and therefore we're going to treat each other like family. It's a beautiful picture. The gospel is now not just being preached. It is being lived. It is displayed in a culture of generosity inspired among the people of God as they live out the gospel that they also preach. It's a beautiful picture. There are instructions to the churches to give. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each of you, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. In this passage, Paul is instructing a new church, the church at Corinth, every week to take time to set aside and save what they prospered. The idea behind that was don't wait till the last minute to then say, hey, what do I got to be able to give people in need? You're going to lay aside each week as you make your money. You're going to lay aside what you have part of what you have to be stored up so they can be taken to Jerusalem. Now, why are they taking it to Jerusalem? We know from other texts, the reason for that is that there were saints in need. There were needy brethren in Jerusalem. And so the church is collecting money um, weekly so that they can store it up to be able to send it as a gift to those needy saints when Paul and other disciples would travel there. In chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and, and, and 9, Paul writes them again to make sure they're going to be ready when he arrives. Uh, and this is what he says in chapter 8 and verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Just as you abound in everything, in faith, utterance, knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but it's proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. What do you see here in this passage? What do you see here in the instructions given to the saints as it pertains to giving? In chapter 9 and verse 7, he says, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What I want you to see here first is that Paul is not pressing them to give as much as they are pressing him to give. 
Now, that may not be true with the Corinthians, but it was certainly true with the churches in Macedonia. It's almost like Paul is saying to the church in Macedonia, hey, you guys are too poor. You're in no position to help. And they're saying, no, we're going to help. Who's the one begging? It's not the preacher begging the people to give. It's the people begging the preacher to let them participate in this work. And I want to suggest to you that in the New Testament, in under the new covenant, when Christians are called to give, they are to do so voluntarily. They are to do so voluntarily. That is, they're not to be compelled into giving. They're not to be forced into it. They're not, you're not supposed to have church leaders sticking their hands in other people's pockets and just pulling the money out. It is whatever the people purpose in their heart to give voluntarily. That is what they should give. And so giving to God should be voluntary. It is a choice that we make as we purpose in our hearts. Let me just add to that. Giving for a gospel-filled people, a spirit-filled people, should be generous. Giving should be generous. Paul didn't have to tell them to give generously. They understood how graciously and how generously they had been given to. They had been given to. Notice again, verse five, chapter eight of verse five. They first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. To a person who has given themselves to the Lord, you don't need to be instructed to give. You've already given everything you have to God. Every dollar you spend. It's not just, it, it's not, see, sometimes we get in our budget. We're like, hey, I got to budget my money. This is for God. And this is for me. You know, this is for God. And this is for me. This is my money. This is his money. No, it's all his money. And if you've given yourself to the Lord, it is all his. We are simply stewards of what he has entrusted us with. We're simply, we're simply entrusted to manage God's money. And our job is to use it in a way that magnifies him. You don't have to compel somebody to be generous who's been touched by the gospel. Because as we think about how generous God has been towards us, it is our desire to give in every aspect of life, including my wallet, to give back to him in a way that honors him and in a way that, that brings him glory. Giving should be voluntary. Giving should be generous. And giving should be gospel-driven and gratitude-driven. That is, what is it that compels me or inspires me to give? It is not a feeling of obligation or of guilt, but rather the feelings of gratitude and appreciation for all that God has done for me through Christ Jesus. Look at the next verse in chapter 8 and in verse uh, 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, you might become rich. What is it that moves the people of God to be generous? What is it that moves the people of God to be gracious? What is it that moves the people of God to be givers? The grace of our Lord. The, re the reminders that Jesus Christ, the richest of the rich, the king of all kings, emptied himself of all of his wealth and came down here and emptied himself of his life so that he could suffer and die. So that through his poverty, he might make poor people like us richer than we could ever imagine through Christ Jesus, our Lord. If I've been touched by the gospel, if I've been filled with the spirit of God, then you're not going to have to tell me that I got to give. I will understand how grateful 
how appreciative I am for God, for what the Lord has done will move me to give. And there won't have to be a sermon about it in order for it to happen. You might be wondering, what are they doing with the money? You say giving to God. Like uh, This is probably a, another topic for another day, but I'm just going to say uh, quickly a couple of things. When you see in the early church them collecting money, there's a couple of things they're doing with it. One is they're using it for the progress of the gospel. They're using it for the progress of the gospel. Think about, and by the way, don't just think about money here. Think about when Paul comes to Philippi in, in, in the book of Acts and Lydia opens her home and welcomes him. And she, and she insists that she's going to provide for Paul and his coworkers. She's going to take care of their needs so that they can go and do the work of God in that city. Uh, that's a way of investing, giving to God for the progress of the gospel, using her resources for the gospel to be preached. Uh, you see churches being involved in that. The church at Philippi is a good example of that. If you read Philippians 4, you can read and you can see there that church, what, what started with this sister Lydia, spread to the entire church to the point that when Paul was often in need as he's going out to do to preach and, and to work for the progress of the gospel, that church is constantly giving him. They're constantly giving more to him to make sure that his needs are taken care of. And he writes them and he says, hey, I'm not writing you because I'm in need here. I've learned to be okay when I got nothing and I've learned to be okay when I got everything. I'm not writing you here because I'm desperate. It's for your benefit that you're doing this. It's for your blessing that you are involved in, in, in giving in this way. And truly that is the blessing of God's people. To be able to share, to be able to give, to be able to work, to be able to invest, to support the evangelists that we're already supporting as a group, to be able to use the funds that we have for God's word to be proclaimed is a blessing. It's a blessing. It's also the example we're given in the New Testament for how the churches should use their money. Let me give you one more here. Giving should be uh, not only used, the, the money that's received should not only be used um, for the progress of the gospel, but also for the saints who are in need. And this is a sad part to me, is that sometimes what you'll see in churches is you've got some churches where the preacher is getting rich off the congregation. And the people who are, who are, who are generously donating so that, so that the preachers provided for are themselves desperately poor and ignored. It ought not be that way in the church of God. In Acts chapter 2, those who had more gave so that they all had all things in common. In Acts chapter 6, when they had widows who were in need, they, they had some sort of setup where they were daily being distributed food. The church was providing for that, providing food for all the widows who were in need. Why? Well, because the gospel is not just supposed to be something we proclaim with our mouth, but something we live with our lives. Well, people out there believe the gospel that we're preaching. If they look in here and they see we're not even taking care of our own. There's people in our own midst who are in need. No, the gospel, it, the gospel compels us to take care of one another. And so the church collects money for the progress of the gospel and also for the, to take care of those needy saints. That is not just in our number and in our midst, but also in other places. Think again to the, the letter to the Corinthians in which he's telling them to collect money, but it's not for them. It's not for the needy who are in their midst. It's for the needy way off in Jerusalem, a long ways from Corinth. And they're going to be sending that to the saints who are in need. All right, I'll just point out that there are lots of other things that often churches uh, collect money for today that you're not going to find in Scripture. And if we're trying to be the people who are offering to God, 
We need to let God tell us how to use the wealth that he's given us. And let God teach us how to use what is collected as a church. We don't have time to go into this today, but there seems to be in scripture a distinction between an individual's wealth and what is collected among the church. Um, there, it, Paul writes to Timothy about that, saying, hey, if, if, uh, if a widow is in need and her family can take care of her, then let the family take care of her so that the church not be burdened. There's a distinction between the individual and what is collected for the church. When it comes to the money collected by the church, that should be focused on the progress of the gospel and those who are saints who are in need. That's the focus given in scripture. All right, let me ask a couple more questions here um, before we uh, wrap this up. Number one, uh, number one, this is actually number three, but uh, how much do I have to give? That I often get that question. All right, so how much do I have to give? Do I have to give 10%? Do I have to tithe? I think you've already seen this from uh, from from what I've been saying. My judgment on that is the answer is no. No, not according to the new covenant. You do not have to give 10%. But usually I'll follow that up with this question. How much did God give you? Did he give you a tenth of what he had? Or did he give you the best that he had to offer? As Christians, we shouldn't just be thinking in terms of percentages here. I think that's important for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, um, some disciples, if they were to give a tenth of what they had, they wouldn't be able to pay their rent. And they wouldn't be able to eat. For some of us, if we gave a tenth, we would not be able to eat. We would be homeless. We wouldn't be able to survive, especially in this city, if we were to give a tenth of our income. But for some of us, if we were to give a tenth, that would be far less than what we are able and what we ought to be giving. Because of what the Lord has given us. Christians are not required to give a certain amount. Rather, they are moved by the gospel impulse to give cheerfully and willingly and generously in a way that honors and glorifies God. It's not a, it's not a command. It's simply a result of the gospel at work in our lives. And it shouldn't be something that has to be compelled out of us. So how much do I have to give? Well, what I love about the gospel is the gospel gives us principles, principles that are taught. And then God entrusts us to make those judgments. But as we make those judgments, we ought to be thinking about what am I offering God? And is God pleased with my offering? The question should not be how much do I have to give, but how much can I give for the glory of God and for his honor in a way that pleases him? Well, I know this this uh, sermon might be hard for some of you um, because some of you might be saying, well, what about me? I don't have much to give. I think there's a story here uh, that is encouraging in Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to 44. Some of you guys are familiar with this story, I think. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all that she owned and all that she had to live on. What impresses Jesus? Is it the amount that we give? 
Or is it the sacrifice that we make, the cost that it is to us? What was impressive about this woman is her desire to give the Lord the best that she had to offer. And I don't think this story is meant to say that Jesus is trying to impoverish people. He's trying to take everything from them. You know, God's trying to exploit people. That's, God does not need your money. God is not up in heaven thinking, hey, I really need that. If I don't get that, you know, if I don't get that $100 this week from them, I'm going to be in trouble. I can't pay my bills. God does not need your money. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is the heart that comes behind it. A heart. God knows that we will be most at rest, most at peace, most satisfied, most fulfilled when we rest in him, when we learn to please him. And that is exactly what the purpose of all of this is for us to learn to be pleasing to him. So what if I don't have much to give? Give what you're able to give. Give what you're able to give and do it for the glory of God. And when you spend your money on other things, do it for the glory of God. Do it to please God. They gave out of their abundance of wealth, she out of her poverty, which was more pleasing to God, the one who gave what cost them. We should not give God what costs us nothing. Um, secondly, what if I don't have much to give? For some of us in the church, at some times, you're not the ones giving. The purpose of us taking up a collection is so that you can receive. That is, sometimes saints are in need. If there was no one in need in the early church in Jerusalem, they wouldn't have been giving. They wouldn't have been selling their property and possessions. They did that because others were in need. And I want to tell you, if you're, if you're among the people of God, there are going to be times in life where you're going to be the one needing to receive. And part of being humble is being willing to do so. And giving others the blessing of being able to sacrifice and generously give to you so that your needs are taken care of, so that everyone is able to serve God and glorify God. I want to say this. It's not loving to give what I do not have to give. It's not loving to give what I do not have to give. Some people will get themselves in deep debt to be able to give to church because there's a pressure that they feel associated with that. It's not loving to give what I do not have to give. Giving when I'm unable just ensures that I'm going to have to receive more and that I'm going, going to bring greater burdens on others. And so if I don't have much to give, there may be times in which I just need to receive and receive out of gratitude. And let me just add, as we said at the beginning, Offer to God a sacrifice in other ways besides money. We have much more to offer God than simply our wallets. We can invest our time. We can invest our energy. We can invest our resources. We can use our possessions, our strength, all that God gives us to glorify him. So giving is not just about money. Let me say, lastly, um, a couple of things about the collection that we do here. Um, it's been our custom uh, it's just that. It's a custom uh, since we started this church. I know many of you come from other churches uh, where it's common to pass a plate around or something to collect the money. Uh, here in this church, since we began, it's been our custom simply to have a box up here and uh, people are invited to give before or after uh, the worship service to come up and to give. And there's a reason for that. Um, there's a reason for that custom. And I want to give you a couple of scriptures um, that have kind of led us to that custom. It's not a custom that needs to be enforced on other churches. Um, that is our judgment, and we may change that judgment at some point. But at this point, we do that, and I want to give you a couple of reasons for why we do that. Look first at Matthew chapter 6 and verses 1 to 4. Matthew chapter 6 and verses 1 to 4. Jesus said this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. 
Otherwise, you have no reward with your fathers in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What is Jesus saying about our giving? One of the things he's saying is our giving is between, and my giving is between me and God. Mm-hmm. It's not for you. It's not for you to see. What I do is between, between me and God. It's not my business what you give, and I don't need to see it. In fact, God says there's a danger. Jesus says there's a danger here that we, that we can end up practicing our righteousness not to be seen by God and to please God, but rather to be seen by other people. And isn't that a temptation sometimes? I, I remember times in church where, you know, they're passing the plate by. And even if you don't have, you feel compelled to pull something out and put it in because everybody else is doing it, right? There's some sort of pressure that comes with that. What we give is between us and God. And it's not my business or anybody else's business. We're not giving to be seen by others. And that's why we have this box up here. You can do it secretly, not completely secretly, but mostly secretly. That's the goal of this, is that we're not doing it, seeking some sort of uh, visible um, reward, some sort of reward from men. Uh, let me add to that again, 2 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 8. Why do we do this this way? Well, we are simply, with our giving, trying to show that we've given ourselves to the Lord. Just as just as the Corinthians were, were told about the Macedonians, who had first given themselves to the Lord and then to us also, we also, through our giving, have an opportunity to give graciously and show our gratitude to the Lord. And therefore, we have no desire in this church to try to get people to give out of compulsion. That's not our desire. And if you're visiting here, we're not asking for your money. Um, that's not our desire at all to take money from those who visit us and from those who come into our assemblies. Rather, we are simply, by giving each first day of the week, we are simply trying to obey, the, the follow the pattern that's given in the early church that shows how we take care of one another and how we work for the progress of the gospel as the people of God today. We're simply trying to imitate the gospel, what we saw in our, in our Lord and in our Savior Jesus, who though he was the richest of the rich, he became poor and made himself nothing. He emptied himself so that we might be filled, so that we might become rich. And if it's true that he became poor and made himself nothing, so that I might become something, then it should also be true that that same desire should be in me to empty myself, to lay down my life, to lay down my wealth so that others might become something, others might become rich. If he left his riches to make me rich, then I want to do the same, to make others rich and rich in the most important ways rich with the spiritual blessings that come in Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we're thankful to be in your word today, and we're thankful for the abundant blessings that you've given us, oh, Lord. 
you have richly blessed us so that we are uh, uh, amply supplied. And I pray, God, that you'll help us to learn to be content in every circumstance, when we have much and when we have little. But I also pray, oh God, that you'll give us a heart uh, that, that loves to give. I pray, oh God, that you'll be pleased with what we offer you, that our offerings would not come back to you as a disappointment, um, but rather the things that we offer you would make you proud, would make you res uh, feel respected and honored. You are our Father. You have lovingly and graciously given us everything. You have given us far more than what we need. You have given us above and beyond anything we could even ask in the heavenly places through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we pray, O oh God, that that same spirit of generosity that you have taught us would live in us, both as individuals, but also collectively as your people, that we would be generous and ready to share um, with all those who are in need. Lord, lead us to those who are hurting, lead us to those who are in need and help us to love them and to serve them and to use the wealth that you've given us in a way that magnifies your name and brings others good. In Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you.